So, Merry Christmas, everybody. Has anybody already had a family Christmas celebration yet? We've had, we have, yeah? Anybody still have many more to go? Okay, that's awesome. Our family, we only have one more to go, which is kind of fun, um, on Christmas Day. But I thought, as we got started this morning, that I would tell you guys a couple of Christmas fun facts of where some things about Christmas come from. And then I really have um, a word I feel like the Lord has given me for us for today that we're going to dive into a different uh, aspect of the Christmas story that you may have not considered before. But the first thing I want to say is I read this book recently. Actually, I listened to it on audiobook. That's my current thing. I can listen to it in the car, which is awesome. And it's called The Power of Moments. Has anybody heard of this book? Anybody? Power of Moments. It's great, so you won't know what I'm about to say. Um, it's by two brothers called Dip and Chip and Dan Heath, and they are business people, professors, organizational development kind of guys, and they created this book that's called The Power of Moments, and the premise and the understanding is that life is not actually measured in the mundane details or the day-to-day. It's measured in the moments. If I asked you right now to think back to some of your favorite things or some of your worst things, it's going to be a moment that comes up, right? That's how we work. And so the idea of the book is understanding that's how we process life. So then how can we work with that to make moments happen and to be paying attention to the moments that do happen? So what they do is they talk about the four components of a moment that we, if you're wanting to create that for your family or your organization or whatnot. And the first component of a moment, although this, I'm not going to get into the other three, is an elevated experience. And so the idea is for it to be counted as a moment, something that we pay attention to, it has to be different than the norm, right? It can't just be, I had spaghetti every day this week. If you have spaghetti Monday through Friday, then Saturday is a good moment when you have a steak or whatever is your favorite meal. It's like something different than the norm. And it dawned on me that Christmas is the most epic moment right? The Christmas season hits every category on, in this book, and what it talks about is, like, the sounds change. All of a sudden, we pull up Christmas music. Most people would say, if you listen to Christmas music beyond that after Thanksgiving until New Year's time, something's wrong with you, right? It's like, this is, this is just reserved right for Christmas time. The music, the lights, you drive into your neighborhood, and all of a sudden, the scenes all look different. We decorate the inside of our homes different. The smells change because we bring out recipes we only do at Christmas time. You guys are tracking with me? And all of a sudden, we've created a moment that's really significant. That's why we look with expectation to Christmas year after year, because something is different than the norm. And so I'm, I'm going to come back to this in a little bit, but I want you to kind of have it in your mind that I believe God also creates moments with us. I believe he puts a lot of intentionality into a moment for you, and we're going to come back to that a couple different times. But one of the things that we do at Christmas is we decorate and we do different traditions, right? So I thought I would give you, if you've never heard this before, a couple of insights into where we get some of our Christmas things. So December 25th is the day we've chosen to celebrate Jesus' birth. And I don't know if you know why we celebrate Jesus' birth on December 25th or not. But most people would tell you Jesus was probably not born on December 25th. Some historians actually think he was born in September. Some think at other times, but it's probably very likely he was born towards the end of the year. But I don't know if you've ever wondered where we get the, the number December 25th. I know I have, and I had heard for a long time that it came from a pagan holiday in Rome, but that's actually not true. So here's where it comes from. 
in the first century church, so we're talking like 100 AD time frame, for some reason that generation and a half past Jesus, they didn't know the day that the resurrection had happened on anymore, okay? Now you might go, how could you forget that day? I would let you know that in that time period, there were four different calendars at work all the time. So that's really confusing. So you get a couple weeks down the road, you probably are going to have to do some serious math to figure out what day something was on based on the calendar, right? If you don't know what that's like, think today we have our calendar that the whole world works off of. Then we have the Jewish calendar, which is a whole separate calendar. The new year happens in September every year. Then we have the Chinese calendar, which the new year happens, I think, like in February. So there, even today, there's multiple calendars happening. But here's what happened. The first century church, they wanted to know the day of Jesus' resurrection so they could celebrate that. And then it was math. They knew how old Jesus was. They did a lot of research. They decided it was sometime around April. I don't know the exact date they picked. In fact, some of the other you know, Greek Orthodox history says it was a different day. So how do you know? But they went back 33 years, nine months. That's how we got December 25th. Interesting, huh? It's just math. You're like, oh, now you sound like Scrooge, so sorry. Uh, but I do feel like it's not really necessarily important the day Jesus was born, but the fact that he was born, right, which we'll get into. But some people understand that there was a, an emperor, a Roman emperor in 245 AD. His name was Aurelius. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of him before. He was not a good guy. And he actually created, he like, you know, put into action a cult called the Sun God Cult, S-U-N, like the sun. And they had a festival on December 25th that they would celebrate and do all these pagan things. Now, when I say pagan, some people use the word pagan to say people who are really far from God, who are living like a life, whatever they want to do. Actually, the word pagan is a, a religion that comes from the Vikings way, way, way long ago. So when I'm saying pagan in this, I'm actually talking about that true religion that has very interesting things about it. But they were pagans at the time, and they um, created this cult. They had this sun god worship thing. And so people have traced back December 25th to Aurelius, and they've said things like, oh, he took this day, and then Christians took the day from him, and we made it Christmas. But that's not true, because there's actually historical documentation that predates Aurelius saying the first church knew December 25th, they thought, was Jesus' birthday. They just didn't celebrate it. So after he created his sun god cult, most people think he actually created that for the 25th of December as an affront to the Christians, not necessarily that we took it from him. So just some fun facts for you in case you wanted to know. Let's talk about Christmas trees. I promise we're going to get to the word from the Lord in a minute, but this stuff is so interesting. So Christmas trees that are in your house, who doesn't, who, anybody not have a Christmas tree up? Okay, maybe one. Maybe not. Everybody has a Christmas tree. We love Christmas trees. Some people think that Christmas trees come from the pagans, the Viking originate origin pagans, um, because the pagans at that time, they actually worshipped trees. Like, oh, there's a tree. Let me bow down and worship you. But I don't think anybody today is really worshiping trees. Um, but it's interesting because even before then, in the Bible, trees were actually very sacred to the ancient Jews. And there was something about trees that would commemorate the presence of God. So now isn't this cool that in your house right now, you have a symbol of commemorating the presence of God, celebrating the presence of God coming to earth, and you didn't even know. That's amazing. So when you said, well, maybe you knew, but I didn't really realize this until I started looking into it. 
I don't know about you, but for me, when I'm going to be opening presents with my kids around our tree this year, I'm going to be thinking about how this tree is a symbol of the presence of God in my home. Isn't that neat? The first Christmas tree, in the way that we understand it, probably dates back to around 1400 in Germany. In fact, there's a fable that says Martin Luther was the first one to bring a Christmas tree into his home. It's not, nobody really knows that for sure, but that's one of the suggestions. And then if you guys are familiar with Queen Victoria in England, she's one of my heroes. She was the one who brought Christmas trees into popularity in the UK and the US. So that was in like the 1830s. So there you go. One last fun fact for you, talking about giving gifts with, um, for your family and whatnot. And this isn't so much a fun fact, but I felt like the Lord wanted me to extend just some ways to consider our normal Christmas traditions to you guys. And so this one, I felt like he, what he was putting on my heart was when we give gifts to our family, to our friends and whatnot, when we give them, what we're doing is actually stepping into like a prophetic act of what God gave to us with Jesus right? So for us in our home, when we talk about Christmas morning and on Christmas morning, I always sit the kids down and I say, you know, guys, I want you to understand God's blessed us. He's given us all kinds of great things emotionally, spiritually, mentally. And so we're able to bless you and we're able to give you something that really like gets you excited. And this is a prophetic act. It's a symbol of how we get excited about God, right? And we make that connection and then we have a whole lot of fun. So that's just another way to look at your gift giving on Sunday morning. So when you're making a moment, when you're making a moment this Christmas, I really want to encourage you guys to consider how can you make a moment special and also bring Jesus into that, okay? So I saw this quote recently that went along with the word I felt like the Lord gave us for this morning, and, and it said this. It said, sometimes you can be doing everything right and still have your baby in a barn, right? Sometimes you can be doing everything right and still have your baby in a barn, just like Mary. And so today we're going to look at the Christmas story, and we're going to look at a different side of the perspective of it. And what I felt like the Lord was highlighting was to look at how essentially God came to Mary, he came to Joseph, to all the people connected to the Christmas story, and for lack of tact and class, he really ruined their lives. Normally at Christmas we go, isn't it so amazing that he chose Mary? And we totally forget that from that point forward, her life was going great. And then it was like she was ridiculed forever, right? Sometimes you can be doing everything right. And God blesses you by destroying the right things to build something better. Now, wait a minute. Isn't this Christmas? Why are you sharing this message? There's a point to this. So I want you to imagine with me. I know you guys all know the Christmas story, but if you want to look it up, it's in uh, what we're looking at today is Matthew 1 and then Luke 1 as well. But Mary, she's this, some say, around 14-year-old girl. She's a teenage girl. And an angel comes to her one day, and he says, greetings, highly favored one. So if we're putting that in our terms today, Mary, you're doing everything right. You have caught God's attention. He thinks you're amazing. If we just stop there, that's like, yeah, thank you, Jesus. That's amazing. And she's probably like, cool, thank you. And he goes, and you're going to have a baby that's going to be the son of God. It's like, wait, 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 what? And the angel, and so she, her response to the angel is so interesting. She says, uh, how can that be? Because I'm, I'm not married. I've never been with a man. How can that be? And he says to her, the Holy Spirit's going to come on you, and you're going to have a baby, and the, Jesus is going to come in you. It's going to be amazing. You know, I'm paraphrasing here. And Mary says this interesting thing at the end, and she goes, okay, be unto me what you've said. In other words, all right, let that be the case. 
Now, we've talked a lot in the last few months about when you're asking the Lord to speak something crazy to you, and I've told you guys how for me, I always ask the Lord for a confirmation because I want to believe, and I want to apply all my belief. I just want to apply it in the right place. And so it's interesting if you read the story, Mary has this encounter with the angel, and the next thing she does is go to her cousin Elizabeth's house, somebody she trusts, and Elizabeth prophesies to her, you are going to have a baby, and it's going to be the Savior of the world. Hashtag confirmation, right? And Mary's like, oh my gosh, this is incredible. And so here she is brimming with hope, but then also she has an amazingly hard problem ahead of her. She has to now convince her fiance, who is also a really righteous man, that she's telling the truth and she has not lost her mind. Now, guys, we glaze over this. Just think for a second. Your kid comes to you and says, your kid who has always been amazing, never erred, the one that God is like, oh, every time you see them, they're the most obedient, the most kind, you know, just pick your favorite kid. I know you don't have one, but, but the one you feel is your favorite today, right? And that kid comes to you and goes, mom, dad, I've got some news. I'm highly favored by God. And you're like, yes, you are. And I'm pregnant with the child of God. Think about it for a second. We just totally glaze over this. And, and I, I can just picture Mary's dad being like, oh, heck no. And Mary's mom being like, nope, nope, nope. Not even gonna, we're not even going to talk about this till tomorrow, till you've come to your senses. You know, do you get some bad falafel? Like, what the heck is going on? And Mary's like, no, for real, for real, Elizabeth is having this miracle baby, and she prophesied to me, you know, and they're having to sit there. Just imagine for a second the struggle of having to trust your precious child is telling the most ridiculous story, and they're telling the truth. So then she has to convince Joseph. Now, I want us to look at Joseph's story for a second. Joseph comes from the line of David, okay? That means in his blood is this kingly DNA. I can tell you from firsthand experience, the Jewish culture, they value their DNA a lot. I grew up in a Jewish home. I have some Jewish family. It's like there's just something different about the way they think. It probably has to do with the 360-something attempts of genocide that have happened across the history of the world to the Jewish people. They feel a little special, and they should. And so there's something about them that that's not going to go away. So Joseph would have been raised knowing he was in the line of David. That would have meant something. Now, David's line wasn't king anymore, but they would have carried that in their heart. That would have caused them to walk in a manner worthy of that lineage. They knew the prophecies that the line of David was going to be what would bear the Messiah. So here you've got this righteous man. He's doing everything right. But then God comes in. And Mary shows up, and she's like, got to tell you some news. In fact, it's probably her family that told him. And now Joseph is stuck with a problem. Now, let's think about this for a second. In this culture at this time, if your betrothed was pregnant, clearly that would mean they had an affair, and you were then entitled by law to kill them. Well, that doesn't sound very Christmassy. But that's what's happening here. Joseph is having this conundrum. He is entitled, if he wants to, to stone Mary and to kill her for being disobedient, for for breaking their covenant. So, okay, I just want us to just full stop for a second and go, all right, Joseph went through a very traumatic event in learning about Jesus coming to the earth. I would say Mary did too, right? Understanding what she was going to carry, the fact that she was going to carry this child. You know, when we get a promise from God and it's really amazing and spectacular, we get to carry it in our heart and it doesn't change the way our body looks. So in different settings, you can choose not to talk about it. 
But when you're carrying a baby and your belly gets bigger and bigger and everybody's like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. And everybody knows this is like, a, this is a weighty experience. So just think for a second, Joseph is just, in my mind, when I picture him, he is like agonizing over what to do. He's like, do I kill her? Do I marry her and thus become the ridicule of the whole town? Do I divorce her publicly and then shame her forever? Do I divorce her privately? These are the things running through his mind. I don't know about you, but if you've ever agonized over something, it becomes really hard to hear the Lord. Does anybody know what that's like? You don't know what to do, and you become in, like, even physically and biologically, you're, like, all your hormones and stuff, you get into a heightened state, and so it's really hard to hear from God. So I, I felt like the Lord wanted us to acknowledge this about Joseph, and there's two things in this that are for us today. And the first one is, when you get into a state like that, because we've all been there, where there's, there's like a high price to what's going on, and it feels really intense, there's two things we can do. The first thing is, we can ask God to talk to us in our sleep. Because that's what happened to Joseph. God was like, okay, I know you're stressing. Have a little nap time. I'll take care of this. When we sleep our stress kind of goes away for a minute and the Lord can speak to our spirit. So one thought for you, if you find yourself in a situation like that, ask God, give me a dream. This is something that we can actually ask him to do. The second thing is this, phone a friend. You guys know that old show? Phone a friend. So this is, this is just such a big key that we need to take away from Joseph and Mary's story. When you're walking through something really difficult, you need people around you who will support you. What I think is so brilliant that Mary did was when she discovered that she was going to have a baby, the next thing she did was go to stay with her cousin Elizabeth, who was the wife of one of the priests at the temple. They were a very godly family. And so when she stayed there for three months, she was like, I've got to get away and I've got to have people around me who can support me, who are going to you know, understand what I've got going on in my life. And so I feel like the Lord wants us to know if you find yourself in a situation where you're so overwhelmed, that you need to invite people into that. I've got some friends in my life where when I get into that heightened state and I'm overwhelmed, I'm stressed, whatever, I just send a text and say, hey, this is what I'm trying to hear God on, and I don't really trust what I'm going to hear. So will you ask the Lord to and just send me what you get? Now, I'm not asking them to do like a five-day fast with me. It's like a two-minute thing I'm asking them to do, right? It's not, it's not that much. And so I want to encourage you guys, when you find yourself in the midst of a huge situation, Phone a friend. Ask somebody, hey, give me some input on what's going on. The thing about both of these stories is that God ordained these terrible circumstances. Now, I wholeheartedly believe God is a good dad. He's a good God. He is always in a good mood. I wholeheartedly believe that. And I also wholeheartedly believe that he will destroy good things to build something bigger and better. And it's an uncomfortable thing, but I really felt like the Lord, this is the word for us this morning, is that if you find yourself, you've been doing everything right, and you find yourself in the midst of a whole bunch of really bad circumstances, trust God in that. Trust God in that. So let's go back to our story. So Joseph, he gets the dream from the angel shows up and says, Mary's telling the truth. Marry her. Bring her into your house right now. I love that. God is covering Mary. He's covering her emotionally. Joseph brings her in. And then as if the story couldn't get any worse, then they're forced to go on a donkey ride several towns away when you're pregnant. 
Now, I've been pregnant a few times, and the first time I was pregnant, we were, I was like 23 years old, and Grant and I went on a mission trip to Jordan, and we went uh, for a day to Petra. If you guys know, Petra is one of the seven wonders of the world, and it's this desert. They, it's Indiana Jones has a scene from it. They've carved this, like, town out of the rock, and I don't know what I was thinking. I was having a really great young person pregnancy at that time, and uh, if you've ever been pregnant older, then you know the difference of those two things, and so I'm like, yeah, I can do it, and there's like a mile and a half walk just to get in to Petra. And then there's like, I think we probably walked eight miles that day. I don't know what I was thinking. So about halfway up the trail that we're going on, my body started falling apart. Like I went from I'm in peak health to what is wrong with me? And every step I would take, it was like, it was just so painful. And so I, I, you know, pretty much laid down on the dirt floor on the top of the hill trying to recover to get back down. By the time we were coming out of Petra, Grant can attest, we would make it about, I don't know, a minute of walking and I would have to sit for five. It was just that bad. And they did have some donkeys that you could get on, but the donkeys, guys, who rides on a donkey? Like, I don't even think Mary wanted to ride on the donkey, okay? As we were going up the hill in Petra, Grant's like, should we, it was like $2 to rent the donkey to take you up. So he's like, do you want to do the donkey? And I'm like, maybe. And like, literally at that time, the donkey in front of us starts to go off the cliff. And I am not kidding. And the lady on the donkey is like, ah! her whole life is flashing before her eyes. She is like in complete hysteria. And the little guide is like, you know, like making all these weird noises to the donkey. And I was like, I'm good. I'm, I'm good. No, can't, can't risk going off the side of this, this cliff. And so the donkey is not a pleasant thing to do while you're pregnant. So just getting some perspective in this. So here's Mary ridiculed by her town, probably everywhere she goes, reading into the stares and the whispers of all the people around her, all the suspicion. No way is Mary having an immaculate conception. No way. You, if, if you don't believe me, just tell somebody that doesn't really know Jesus today that Mary had an immaculate conception. It's the same look on their face 2,000 years later. Like, there's just no way, right? And so then she's riding on this donkey, and I just, I just, I get her, you know, and she's, and I just picture her going, I'm not in labor. Nope, nope, that's not a labor pain. Nope, nope, let's keep going right? I can't, it can't be. It can't be labor because I'm going to have this baby on a donkey. Like, thanks a lot, God. And then she ends up having the baby in the midst of animal poop. So, you know, a bad situation gets worse. But here's what I want you to see. All of this was God. Wait, what? I thought you loved me, Lord. I thought you cared for me, God. And God's like, ooh, I do care for you. In fact, what's happening right now is eternal, it's something that's going to span the test of time. It might be difficult today, but I'm telling you, it will be so worth it. I don't know Mary personally, but I have a feeling she wasn't feeling it was so worth it at the beginning. I don't think she was feeling it was worth it when the innkeeper, and this is what I imagine, Joseph in his panic going, how is she going to have the baby out here? What am I going to do? And Mary being like, figures. Where's the barn? I'll take myself, right? Just like this, everything that could go wrong goes wrong. But I want us to fast forward for a second here, okay? I want you to picture Mary at the end of Jesus' life, all right? So she gets to bear the Christ child. She gets to raise him. And before I say that, I want to say this. Sometimes Joseph gets a bad rap because he's not in the Bible very much. But God chose Joseph to stand in as his proxy to his son. That's incredible. God trusted Joseph enough. He could have waited another generation to the next line of David, right? Well, you know. If you get into all the history, you probably couldn't have. But he trusted Joseph. 
And what I love about that is that I just see so much of the father in Joseph and his willingness to raise Jesus as his own, to teach him his trade, to teach him how to be excellent in it, to stand with him. And you know, the other thing that's interesting is Mary, despite all the difficulty, you know, Jesus was the greatest liberator of women and Mary got to live with him his whole life. I don't think Jesus just became a liberator of women around like 25 I think he was born because he was fully God as well. He was born with an understanding of how to treat people. Can you imagine the beauty of what happened in their home? Of course, Jesus was a little wild at times, you know, when they lost him at the temple when he was 12. And he's like, didn't you know where I would be? You know, he had a little bit of a a sass streak in him, which is great. We love that about him, right? But here's the thing. Mary got to experience something about Jesus that people way later got to experience. She got to be the first one. Jesus came so that through his sacrifice, he could dwell within us. And Mary got to be the first one to have him dwell within her. There's so much about this story that was, that was like an invitation, even though the invitation came with like porcupine envelope. <laughs> this is going to hurt to open this, but this is going to be beautiful. We were at, a muse- at the North Park Mall in Dallas the other day, and they had this like succulent cactus thing. And Callie, I don't know what she was thinking. She just touched it. I think she thought it was fake, and then she was bleeding. And she was like, about 10 minutes later, it still really hurts. I'm like, yeah, that's what a cactus is. And I thought, what a beautiful parallel to what I'm going to be preaching on today, that sometimes what is beautiful to us actually causes us a lot of pain. But here's what I want you to picture. So Mary, at the end of Jesus' life, she's standing there. She's waiting to hear the news of what's going to happen to her son. You know, he was her God, but he was also her son. And this is, what I, this is what I imagine. I imagine Mary standing there waiting to find out if Jesus was going to be crucified. Maybe, when she, maybe she was in the crowd when they started shouting, you know, give us Barabbas, crucify Jesus. And I just have this imagination, and I'm, I'm not saying this is a prophetic thing. It's just how I imagine this going down, that Mary had a moment where she touched her belly, and she remembered being on that donkey and how frustrating it was. And I have this, this vision of her just starting to say, Thank you, God, that I got to be a part of this. Thank you, God, that the difficulty of that season and the memories of that have kind of faded away by then, I'm sure. But here she is in another difficult season saying, you could have picked anybody, but you picked me. And what I'm going through brings something eternal I imagine when she heard that he did raise from the dead, that when the resurrection happened, she thinks back to that moment of lying in animal poop, delivering the Son of God, and going, oh, it was so worth it. Every ounce of that frustration was so worth it. And what I felt like the Lord was saying for us today through all of this is that there's no doubt times in our life where we're doing everything right, We're pursuing God. We're saying yes to him. And he comes in with this harebrained idea that destroys everything that we know to be true. And so many of us, in the midst of that frustration, we throw up our hands in bitterness. And that whole, you know, it figures, show me where the barn is. I'll just go lay down there and wallow in the poop right now, you know. And we stay there. And we don't go past that. And we miss what he's trying to do. We miss how he's trying to build something inside of you that will not just bless you, but bless your family, bless your area, bless the nations of the world. We just don't get to know the next part of the story, right? So I just feel like the Lord, his, his, his invitation to us is twofold today. The first one is, 
whatever you're going through, if you find yourself, you know, I know a lot of us, 2018 was the year where it was like this. It was a real Mary and Joseph year. (laughs) It was like, man, Lord, if you're going to speak to me, it's probably going to be when I'm asleep because I'm so overwhelmed every day I can't really hear you. And the Lord will do that. But I want us to just, if, if that's where you've been, I want you to take today and to go, all right, Lord, give me a perspective of what's going on in the midst of this. Give me a perspective of your goodness in the midst of how you're tearing everything apart. Give me a perspective of the vision of what I'm building towards while I'm watching everything else just unravel at the seams. And for those of you that aren't in a stage like that, it's possible you might be someday. I'm not, like, declaring doom or anything like that. I'm just saying it's just kind of how God works. Like, we, we grow to a level where we can hold more, and then he comes and he asks more of us. And typically when he asks more, the surrender that's required feels like a breaking. And all of you are nodding that you've been through this a couple times around, right? I know for myself I've had moments where I've looked at the Lord and gone, how could you ask me to surrender anymore? I didn't even think there was anything left. And here I am feeling like I'm at the starting point now. You know, what was all of that? It's just how he builds. So store these thoughts in your mind if you're feeling great and everything's going really well. Store them in your mind for if it does come a day where you feel like you're having a Mary and Joseph moment. But what we're going to do today, we're going to take a little bit of time as we end um, this morning. And we're going to take communion together. And what we're going to do is, I love communion because we do, as Jesus tells us, we do this in remembrance of him. But what we're remembering is that he now dwells within us. And so when you actually put these elements, the bread and the juice, into your body, it's a prophetic symbol of what is happening in you right now. That Jesus is in you. That you are never alone. That he is with you constantly, even in the midst of all of their difficulty, riding on a donkey, all the scorn and shame, Jesus was within her. Isn't that amazing? It's such a prophetic picture of what we're invited into. So um, we're going to turn on a little bit of music, and um, we're gonna, I'm going to move this out of the way, and here's my invitation to you. You can come up when you're ready. You can grab the bread, which we remember as the body of Christ. You know that he was broken for us to have breakthrough, redemption, salvation, healing. And then take the cup, which is the, I love the blood of Jesus. It's like the blood of Jesus holds our breakthrough. It holds our cleansing. It holds the power to help us overcome. And so these are symbolic items, right? They're symbolic things. And as you take them, what I want you to do is make a moment with the Lord. I want you to ask the Lord to make a moment with you. So you can do that as a family if you want to. You can do that by yourself. It's kind of up to you what you feel like the Lord's leading you to today. But as you, as you take those elements, I want you to ask the Lord, God, make a moment with me today and show me your perspective on this difficulty that I'm going through, okay, if that's where you're at right now. So I'm going to pray. We're going to turn the lights down just so you can focus a little bit. Um, yeah, Lord, we love you. And Jesus, I thank you so much that you are so good at building amazing things within us. And so, Lord, we honor you today as we take these communion elements. We honor you today in your sacrifice on the cross and the power of your resurrection and what you have invited us into in an open heaven lifestyle where we get to be one with you. And so as we commune with you this morning in this prophetic act, I'm asking, Lord, that you would make a moment with us, that you would show us how you are shaping our difficulty and birthing something eternal in the midst of it. In Jesus' name, amen. So when you're ready, you can come up here. You can stay in the front. You can go to your chair, wherever you feel like the Lord is leading you.